This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. It's good to see you. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. If you are joining us for the first time or maybe first time in a long time, you are here for week two of our message series that we've called Unbreakable Marriage. So we're talking about how uh, you know the foundation for a marriage that lasts and a marriage that makes a difference is a husband and a wife who are each individually committed to Jesus, and then through their connection to him, they are connected to each other. If you missed last week, we talked about how the, the foundation of every healthy relationship is our relationship with Jesus, so you can go back and watch that online, listen to the podcast, and, and get caught up. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be an unbreakable spouse. So we'll spend some time in Ephesians 5 talking specifically to um, the ladies, the women this morning about what it means to be an unbreakable wife, and then also talking to men about what it means to be an unbreakable husband. Now, I think when you, when you think of that, and especially around this time of year, there's a thought that to be an unbreakable spouse, to be um, just a, a really good husband, a really good wife, I need to become good at grand gestures of love. Right, Valentine's Day was just Friday. Um, I don't know. Hopefully, if you're married, you were aware of that. Um, if not, you probably got some explaining to do. And uh, good luck. I think instead of one meal, you probably owe ten now. So, uh, but good luck with that. But Valentine's Day is just a natural time of year for us to think about grand gestures of love. Um, no lie, I had I had finished this message. I think last Wednesday or Thursday of this week. Last night, uh, about five thirty, six o'clock, I was driving out. I was kind of out by the Jinx Airport, driving away from a gym where my son had had a basketball tournament, thinking about this message, thinking about grand gestures of love. And as I turned on that road that runs behind the Jinx Airport, I looked over in a field, and there was a pickup pulled in. The tailgate was down. It was covered in candles. There was a girl sitting in the middle of the candles and a guy standing in front of her playing an acoustic guitar. And so I had some thoughts. Right, most of which are not worthy of being shared today, but along the lines of you better be proposing, because if you're just pulling this out for like your first Valentine's after three months together, you're setting the bar way too high. Like it's only gonna go down for both of you from here. So then we we drive down the road, probably another quarter mile. I see a car parked off to the side that no one's sitting in, which I now know it's 2020. So if if somebody's going to the effort of making that grand gesture, they have arranged for one of their friends to hide somewhere and photograph it, right? Because if you can't post it later, it didn't actually happen. So um, I don't know if any of you saw some Instagram posts yesterday of a couple in a dark colored pickup surrounded by candles. Let me know, uh, just because I'm curious what the, the rest of that story is. But grand gestures of love, we, we typically are better at them early in marriage. Now, some of you are natural romantics. Uh, wives, if you are here today and you're married to a man who's a, just a natural romantic and does all these extravagant things, can you do the rest of us a favor and keep your mouth shut? Like, just honestly, my wife, she doesn't want to hear that. I don't want her to hear that, honestly. You know, it's just, it, it just, there are some people who are, and God bless you, he wired you that way, and, you know, others of us are good at other things, uh, but not that. And, but when it comes to love, we think 
if we're going to be an unbreakable spouse, we've got to be better at these just extravagant displays of love. And most of the movies we love that, that are love stories, the books we read that are love stories, all of the, the songs that we listen to that are love stories, they're never just about like the nitty-gritty of relationships, right? But they are the, the much grander pictures of it. So let's just kind of take a quick walk through maybe some of your dating years. So some of you, if you were dating in the 1980s, you know, grand gestures of love might have sounded like Peter Cetera singing the glory of love, right? Um, now, so my history with this song, I was four years old when it came out. So not a whole lot of like, yes, can't wait. Uh, but what I do remember is being in sixth grade, several years after it had come out, and in sixth grade choir, our choir teacher told us, hey, kids, for the concert that your parents are coming to, we're going to sing the glory of love. And as a, you know, a 12-year-old boy, I'm like, why? Why are we doing this? And then she had the hook, right? She, music teachers pay attention. She had the hook. She said, because it's from the Karate Kid 2 soundtrack. I was like, deal, deal. I'll do it. That's fine. It must be a cool song then. And then we listened to it. It's not a cool song. Um, you know, it's, it's weird for sixth graders to sing to. I'm a man who will fight for your honor. I'll be the hero you're dreaming of, right? There's some other lines in there, of just like a knight in shining armor from a long time ago. Just in time, I'll save the day, take you to my castle far away. Like, this is the kind of love you want to experience, right? And, and he tells us, we'll live together knowing forever that we did it all for the glory of love, right? Who doesn't want a love like that, and, and yet it's not some of our experience. Now, I know some of you are like, 1986, I wasn't even alive. Uh, so let's jump ahead, maybe mid-90s for you. So uh, there's a group called All for One. Sang a song called I Swear, right? I'll stand beside you through the years. You'll only cry those happy tears. And though I make mistakes, I'll never break your heart. Now, All for One sang that. Some of us, though, we're in Oklahoma. So you might be more familiar with the John Michael Montgomery version of that song, right? Same lyrics, a little more twang uh, is, is really the, the only difference between those. But again, we're signing up for that kind of relationship. Wait, you're telling me that for as long as we're together, I'll only cry happy tears? You'll make mistakes, but they're never going to break my heart? Absolutely. I'll, like if Angie had told me, hey, Chris, we're going to be married for 80 years. You'll only cry happy tears. The only negotiation I would have had was like, is there a way I cannot cry any tears? Like, is that, is that an option? Because I'll take that. But if not, yes, let's do, let's do the happy tears. And I know even 94, some of you are like, still wasn't alive. You don't have anything. I, I did a membership class this past uh, Wednesday at Christian Chapel. And as we're talking about, like, this happened at Christian Chapel in 1985. This happened in 1992. This happened in 1995. Uh, the majority of the room was not alive when those things happened. I think we got to 97 before everyone in the room was at least on earth uh, at that point in our church history. So, so I get it. Some of you all for one, you know, might as well be Frank Sinatra. You have no familiarity with that. So let's jump all the way ahead to 2010 uh, to a more pronounced Bruno Mars expression of love, right? What's it look like? I'll catch a grenade for you. Throw my hand on a blade for you, jump in front of a train for you, which makes you think, what kind of relationships is Bruno involved in? <laughs> like, if my daughter comes home at some point in life, she's, you know, 10, 11 years old, I don't, 10 years, how old is she? Literally, I'm stuck. 11, thank you, all right. I was not going to be able to continue. At 11 years old, so she comes to me in, you know, like 15 years and says, Dad, I'm dating. Um, and, and he told me, hey, Dad, he told me. 
he'll catch a grenade for me. I'm like, dear, this is not someone to hang out with. No, dad, it gets better. He'll catch a blade for me. No, he'll jump in a train. Why? Why are you even at the train tracks? That seems like a bad place to be. Let's get off of that. But again, all of our songs, all of our stories, everything we love, if it's about an unbreakable bond between people, it has to be this extravagant display of love. Right? And, and we, we like that. And, and most of us this morning, it's pretty easy for us. If you're married, I have no doubt that almost every husband in the room, if for some reason you walked out in the parking lot and on your way to a car, some strange man assailed you with a knife, right? You'd catch a blade for her. Like you'd step in front, you'd do it. Somebody comes, you'd take the bullet for her. If for some reason you, you had to jump in front of a train, you probably would do it. We're okay with those like, hey, just in the moment, your love, your commitment to your wife and and wives, same thing to your husband, you would make the grand gesture, the ultimate sacrifice for them. If if you find out, hey, there's some some kidney issues, but we're a match. Every spouse is going to give up their kidney for their other spouse. We're going to do these things, but what we find is that the foundation for healthy marriages, for thriving connection to each other, is not so much in the one or two times in life where we display this grand gesture in life. It's not about the ultimate sacrifice. It's not about sitting on the tailgate, playing the guitar, surrounded by candles, but it's about the much smaller, harder to discern sacrifices that we make every single day that unite a man and woman together in marriage. Kate Long is an author. She talks about the difference of her experience as a teenager and what she thought about love and as a married woman. She says, it's strange the things we believe prove a person's level of devotion. As a teenager, I thought true love was all about suffering and storms, raging drama, and exquisite despair. But back then, I had no idea about the very unglamorous nature of life's trials, how the test of a supportive spouse lies not in the grand gesture, but in the sum of a thousand tiny acts of kindness. This morning, we're going to see what Ephesians chapter 5 teaches us about how you and I, as men and women, married, unmarried, whatever status we're in this morning, Our ultimate hope for unbreakable marriages is that we will surrender to Jesus to the point that he not only enables us to make the grand gesture, the ultimate sacrifice, but he enables us to die to submit to love one another in the smallest details of our lives. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. It'll be here on the screens for you as well. The Apostle Paul writes, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless." In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, people never hated their own bodies, but they feed and care for them just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. 
All right, so, so we'll just we'll jump right into it. Um, honestly, it's going to be uncomfortable for women first and uncomfortable for men second. So the good news is today we will all be equally offended by the scriptures. Um, you know, and, and like we talked about last week, we're going to listen for ourselves. So men, when we're talking uh, about what it means to be an unbreakable wife, your job is to sit there quietly. That's it. Um, women, your job when we're talking about being an unbreakable husband is to sit there quietly and just let God speak to you. So some of you, I know, like you're, you're going to have, you can't even hold hands or have your arm around each other this morning because it's just going to be involuntary, right? There's going to be something in the scripture and your hand is just going to jerk. And so, so maybe you need to just both hands in your lap. Some of you might need to sit on your hands. Um, you know, I don't know if we need to pass out tape for some mouths. There's probably, like, there's normally not a lot of amens. There probably really shouldn't be any today. Um, you know, unless women, when we're talking about women, go for it, men talking about men. Otherwise, everyone be quiet, um, and, and we'll get through this together, okay? So now, foundational to what we're going to talk about this morning is what we talked about last week. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. Okay, so we're going to talk about what it means for a wife to submit to her husband, what it means for a husband to be willing to die for his wife. But all of this falls under the covering, the umbrella of two people who are mutually submitted to Jesus Christ and are submitted to each other as an act of worship to Jesus. So abusive marriages, all of these other kinds of, uh, kind of caveats and disclaimers that we would have to do, uh, we're, we're, we don't have time to deal with them this morning. So what we're talking about today is what's it look like for a wife to become an unbreakable spouse under this covering of being mutually submitted to her husband out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so let's just kind of jump right into, for me, the stickiest part of this passage, Paul's advice to wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Skipping all the way down to verse 33, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is a, a shots-fired kind of passage. Right? It's, it's the one that has been probably misused, misinterpreted, twisted to, to kind of put women in their place at different times in church history. It's been used to justify sinful patterns of culture. It's been used to, to keep women in dangerous and abusive relationships. And so if, if your thought this morning when you see that is, well, anything that says wives submit to your husbands is clearly outdated or is proof that the scriptures have no relevance to modern life or, or is just another way where a husband's thinking, yes, I can't wait, get them. All of those things reveal our lack of understanding of what is actually being said. Now, again, this must be read in light of Ephesians 5.21. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's advice here in Ephesians chapter 5 is intended to make you an unbreakable wife, not to break you as a wife. He's not saying, hey, let's take this scripture and turn you into a doormat. He's not saying, let's, let's let men use this to take away all of your opinions, all of your thoughts, all of your concerns. Let's use this as the final hammer in every argument of, hey, you, you know, the scriptures just say you got to submit, so I'm buying the motorcycle. And it's not how it works. What Paul is telling us here is out of reverence for Jesus, we're already living in submission to each other. And now he's just saying, wives, in your relationship with your husband, submit to them as you do to the Lord. Right? Now, now, there are two commands that Paul gives to women in these three verses. In verse 22 and 24, he says women are to submit to their husbands. 
And in verse uh, 33, he says women are to respect their husbands. Now, the idea of submission, just that, that word itself is kind of a, a hot button and has so many different aspects to it. So, ladies, here's my encouragement to you today. If the idea of submission in marriage is offensive to you, if it's confusing to you, if it's been harmful to you, the best thing we can do is, is really not even have me teach about it for the next 30 minutes. The best thing I can do is tell you, find a mature Christian woman who loves Jesus, loves her husband, and begin to have some intentional conversations with her about what does it look like? What does this mean? How does it play out to submit in marriage? And they can walk you through all of the, the, the landmines and the difficulties as well as the blessings and the benefits of living that way. What I want to spend our time with this morning, though, is instead of focusing on, on such a hot-button word, submit, I want to look at that second command, respect. Because what I really believe is that what Paul is telling women here to submit and to respect are two sides of the same coin. And so, but submit, you know, with, with our authority issues and all these other things, it just becomes hard to talk about. But respect, I think we can understand. And what you will experience in your marriage generally is that if the respect is happening, the whole submission conversation just kind of becomes irrelevant to the way you interact and the way you live with each other. Okay, so, so ladies, the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, do I respect my husband? Right, do I respect him? And, and what does respect look like? Respect looks like, do I love him? Respect looks like, how do I speak about him? Do I encourage him? It doesn't mean that he's my idol. It doesn't mean that I worship him. It doesn't mean that I don't see any flaws in him. But do I, at the foundation of our relationship, do I respect him as a follower of Jesus? Do I respect him as a man? Do I respect the jobs that God has given him? Do I respect his responsibilities? Do I respect the stresses that he's under? Do I respect his desire to be a good man, to be a good husband, to be a good father, to work well? Do I respect all of those things? And, and I think we all understand we live in a culture where that respect not only does not come naturally, but is often scoffed at. So if you go back again, 80s, 90s, the, the most common example would be the sitcom dad, right? He's, or the, just the sitcom man. He, he's just an idiot. He never gets anything right. Wife always has to fix it. He's just thrown under the bus over and over and over again. And, and, and so now, you know, we're at 2020. It's not necessarily the sitcom, Dad. Now it's the, uh, it's the idea of, like, husband fails or mansplaining. You know, these ideas of just, like, my husband's so stupid. Let me tell the whole world, right? Let me, let me show you in pictures how inept this moron is that I married, right? And, there's, and, and sometimes it's in good nature, right? Like, there are a lot of things I'm just not good at, and Angie teases me about it, and that's fine. Because I've told her repeatedly, please don't die. Our whole world would fall apart. Like, there's just, there's so much. We'd just be buying new clothes all the time, because I don't know how to get stains out like she does. You know, if one time through doesn't do it, throw it away. Uh, you know, she, there's just so much, and I love her, too. So that's the other reason we don't want her to die. Not just what she does, who she is. Um, we'll get to husbands in a minute. Wives! respect your husband. And so, so how do you figure that out? Because honestly, most of you, if we go around the room this morning, you're married, you're engaged, you're dating, I'm saying, hey, do you respect him? Your response is going to be yes, right? And, and so then, then you've got to dig a little deeper beyond just your answer. Of, well, you say you respect him. Does he know you respect him? Does he feel respected by you? Do you verbalize it often in a way that he understands? 
Do you say it to him and do you say it about him? Do you say it in private and do you say it in public? This is what respect looks like. And if, you're, if then you go down that road and you're like, you know what, I'm really not sure. I would encourage you to start to ask. Ask first, ask your husband. Hey, do you feel like I respect you? Now, most of these guys are nice and they're going to say, sure. Of course you do. Push a little deeper. Ask a little deeper. How? When? When do you feel most respected? What do I say? What do I do? If, you, if you're not getting the answers you want there, or just feel like you need more clarity, start to ask, your, ask some of your friends. Do you think I respect my husband? The way I talk about him, does it seem like I respect him? Ask your, if your kids are old enough where you can ask them that without inviting them into some weird marriage drama they don't need to be a part of. Ask them, hey, kids, do you, do you think I respect dad? Is that how I talk? If, if you're really brave, ask your mother-in-law. I mean, super brave. Do I respect your son? No, you don't. And I've got to lit. Here's some ways you can improve. And, uh, you know, or like if in Angie's case, if she asked my mom, do I respect your son? My mom beg, yeah, I don't know why. Uh, let me tell you some things he still needs to work on. I can't spank him anymore. So, uh, you know, like there were just, but just ask. Put yourself in that spot because, ladies, here's what you need to understand. A wife who respects her husband creates such a strong bond and connection when he feels it and knows it. And no matter what he faces in life, if he knows in this connection, I am respected as a man, I am respected as a provider, I am respected as somebody who's following Jesus, then no matter what obstacles he's facing, no matter what challenges are coming his way, you will be the well he comes to again and again and again as a source of strength, encouragement, and stability in his life. You're not going to replace his relationship with Jesus, but your respect for him can be fuel for his connection to Jesus Christ. And so you've just got to ask that question. And again, when the respect is there, that whole submission conversation really doesn't even come into play. So, so ladies, it's, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to hear somebody saying, so what should you do to have a successful marriage? You should respect him and you should submit to him. Oh, that's it? Right, so all I got to do is submit. I just got to give up all of my desires and all of my needs and all of my preferences. And, and it can feel really harsh. And, and, and a lot of husbands, honestly, we wish Paul would have stopped writing right there. Because that would have been easy. Ladies, if, if the prescription for an unbreakable marriage was all on you, I mean, every guy in here would kind of feel like, great. Pretty sure she works on relationship stuff better than I do anyway. So it makes sense that God would give her all the responsibility. But men, we don't get off the hook. So ladies, he says submit and he says respect. And then you can read what he says to men. You're like, well, that doesn't seem quite as, quite as hard or as harsh, but, but it actually is. Listen to Paul's words to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Okay, so, so ladies, we're going to call you to submit and respect. Men, we're going to call you to die. That's it. No big deal. Just die. Now, again, most of us are like, I'll do it, right? Bruno Mars, catch the grenade, jump in front of the train. I'll die for her. But the call to die is not necessarily the one grand gesture. It's a call to die to yourself every single day for the sake of your wife, to die to your rights, to die to your desires. I mean, really what Paul is telling both husbands and wives is the exact same thing. He just uses different words. Wives, submit. What's submission? Submission is dying to yourself. 
What does it mean to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it? It means to die to yourself. It means submission. Again, it all fits under that umbrella of Ephesians 5.21. Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. So husbands, this is our job, to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then just in case we don't get it, Paul goes even deeper and tells us, here's how you're supposed to love your wife. This is how it plays out. You are to love her as you love your own body. Because two people have become one flesh. This is God's design for marriage. So he's saying, men, God's plan for marriage is that you love her to the point that you care for her as you care for yourself. Right? And how do we care for ourselves? He says, after all, no one ever forgets to feed or to care for themselves. So men, our job in our marriage is to be as attentive to our wives as we are to our own physical needs. Okay, now, now most of us, I, I think we understand this, men. Any of you ever work to the point that you forget to eat lunch? Anybody? Some of you? Okay. Any of you ever work to the point you forget to eat lunch and dinner? Anybody ever work to the point that you forget to eat for a week? No? A month? Six months? You're right. Like, see, so what Paul is saying is, look, you're, you never, no matter how busy you are, no matter how engaged you are, you never lose sight of the fact that you need to eat. Now, you guys that have even worked through one meal, I'm impressed. That has never happened to me in my entire life. I have, I have forgotten a lot of things. I have never forgotten lunch. Uh, and, and so Paul is speaking my language when he says, you know what it looks like to love your wife? It looks like you are as aware of her, her presence, her needs, as you are your own need to eat. And so then he begins to, to present us with this challenge of, husbands, your job, what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up, is not just that you would be willing to die for her, but that you are caring for her every single day. You can't be her savior, but you can do everything in your power to care for her physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, to point her to Jesus and maintain that connection. So if the question for a wife is, do I respect my husband? The question for a husband is, am I caring for my wife? And we need to pay attention, man. The question is not, do I care about my wife? Because I know your answer is yes, you do care about her, but are you caring for her? Again, Jesus is our model, okay? He's showing us. His interactions with the church, men, is our model for how we interact with our wife. So Jesus invites us as followers of his into a relationship. And then he continues to lead us. He continues to guide us. He continues to speak to us. He continues to comfort, to challenge everything that we need to be growing in relationship with him. This is what it looks like for us to care for our wives. We enter into relationship with her, and we continue to build that relationship every single day. So caring for your wife is not just, hey, I provide a roof over our heads. I pay the bills. I'm a nice guy. I told her I loved her on our wedding day, and I'd let her know if it ever changed. Like, that's, that's not it. To care for her means you are actively engaged in her life. And, and men, this is where many of us struggle. Because we relationally, we typically take the path of least resistance. Right? And, and so as long as, as long as our wives are not actively telling us what terrible husbands we are and how unhappy they are, we just assume that they are as thrilled today as the day they said I do. Right? And unless we hear otherwise, right, this is why some of your wives know they have to cry to get your attention. 
because it's, it's the only thing that works. It's the only thing, you know, oh, oh, she's serious. Because, man, our, our default is we're just going to deal with the bigger headaches first. So you're always going to have problems at work. You're always going to have problems with your house. You're always going to have problems with your car. You're going to have physical issues. You're going to have problems with your kids. You're going to have financial issues you got to work through. And all of these always take your attention, and they take a lot of your care and a lot of your capacity to engage relationally. But what Paul is telling us is those things are all fine. Those are part of feeding your wife, but you also need to be caring for her. You need to be engaged with her. The woman you are married to today is not the same woman you married 5 or 10 or 20 or 40 years ago. And you can't just assume, because I knew her then and we were connected then, I know her now and we're connected now. But it is a continual investment of your time, your energy, and your resources to know and to care for your wife. And it means you're going to talk about the good things. You're going to celebrate them. You're going to have hard conversations at times. But you're not, Jesus never takes his relationship with us for granted. And we are not to do that with our wives. We are to be fully engaged, fully present with them all of the time. And it's challenging. It's hard. It might not be something that's been modeled for you in your life, men. And yet, that's your job. Your job is to love her as Christ loves the church. And so Paul gives us this recipe for a healthy marriage. He says, look, all it takes is an individual, unbreakable commitment to Jesus Christ. Unite your life to him individually. And we can do that whether we are single or married today. And I'm going to unite my life to him. And then in God's timing, in God's way, he may choose to unite me with another person. And so Paul's recipe is an unbreakable commitment to Jesus. And then you're going to take an unbreakable wife who loves Jesus. It will gladly, willfully, joyfully submit to her husband, display respect, a husband who will gladly, joyfully, happily give himself up to feed, to care, to love for his wife. And then what that's going to create is just this little circle of reinforcement. Whereas we love Jesus and surrender to him, he's going to enable a wife to love and respect her husband and submit. And he's going to enable a husband, because of her love and respect and because of what Jesus is doing in his life, to love his wife deeply, to care for her, to be involved with her. And it's just this unending cycle of connection and strengthening through Jesus, through each other. And, and so we're, we're living with that understanding of she's not my Savior, I'm not her Savior, we both desperately need Jesus, but his intention is to bind us together in marriage. But I know for some of us today that, that experience sounds ideal, but also sounds very, very far-fetched. And so I want to leave you uh, kind of with a, a challenge for you this morning of how we can start to put some of these things into practice. Ashley and Andrew, if you guys can come help me. So some of you know Ashley and Andrew Squants. If you don't, Andrew and Ashley Squants. Here you go. Come right up here, guys. Um, Andrew hides in the drums a lot of Sundays, so you might not be familiar with his face, but you know the noises he makes. So... That is kind of weird, <laughs> yeah. So um, there we go. So Andrew, uh, Andrew grew up in England. Ashley grew up here in Tulsa. Yeah, go ahead, wrap that around you. There we go. We'll, we'll just go in a circle on it. There you go. Good. So Ashley grew up at Christian Chapel. Andrew grew up in England. And how many how many years have you guys been married now? Almost three. Okay. So you met what five or six years ago? Does that sound right? Ashley went over to London. Andrew was there working. Now, Andrew uh, explained to me that he is from England, but not like metropolitan England. He's from redneck England. 
right? Yeah, like uh, one of the first Sundays I met, I was like, where are you from? He's like, it's basically the Oklahoma of England. I was like, oh, okay, I got it, except you got like cliffs and ocean and all that kind of stuff, so no tornadoes, but no football. Uh, so, you know, pluses and minuses. Um, so Andrew and Ashley, they, they were over there. They were friends. They were met. So, so let's just say this rope represents them individually. You can just mentally put yourself in their spots this morning, okay? So as an individual, you have your concerns. You have your priorities. You have all of these kinds of things. And as a single person, you get pretty wound up in what's in it for you. That's just the way we see the world. And even when we follow Jesus, we're asking him, Lord, take away my sin, take away my selfishness. But as, as long as you're living as a single person, there's always this little element of you're not fully aware of just how selfish you are. Okay? Now, I'm not, I mean, obviously, Jesus was single and he did pretty well. So don't take too much offense there. But for many of us, in the process of two people becoming one, it's a revelation of just how selfish we become. So Andrew and Ashley, they're over there living in England, and they, they kind of, Catch each other's eye. Who liked the other one first? You liked each other at exactly the same time. That means one person liked them first, but the other one's afraid to say it. So, uh, but thank you. We'll go with your story. I like that. Okay? Uh, So they started liking each other at exactly the same point in history. They caught each other's eyes. There were some obstacles to overcome, right? I mean, uh, Ashley, Andrew lives in another country. Andrew... 1776, she's from the winning team, you know, all those kind of things that you've got to just mentally overcome. Uh, But they do. There is a strong mutual attraction. There is a spiritual connection. God is working in them, and they start to kind of, I mean, let's just give it, let's give it another turn. They're, they're moving closer towards each other. Here we go. And eventually get to that point of, okay, we think, we think this is what God wants. And so they, they go through all of the, I don't know if you've ever dated across the Atlantic. I haven't. I would imagine there's some challenges there of meeting each other's families and all those kinds of things. But somewhere along the point, Andrew and Ashley decide this is God's plan, and they reach out, and God connects them in marriage. Okay, now when he connects them, ideally what is supposed to happen is they are supposed to drop the rope completely. Like all of their sin, all of their selfishness, all of this is supposed to go away. This is his plan for you and I. So it should be two hands that are connected. But what happens for most of us in our marriages is that God completely joins us together and sets us on this path, and we hold on with one hand, and then we just kind of, you know, maybe let go a little bit, but not completely. So it gets a, a little bit more loose, and some of these things might fall away a touch, but we're still not completely sure we can let go of all of our rights, all of our responsibilities. Can we completely and totally trust this person? Now, early in marriage... There's not a lot of tension in this rope, because typically you're just, you're just pretty happy, right? And yeah, there you go. I mean, it's, it's head on the shoulder. It's life is good. It's like, hey, you might do some stuff that annoys me, but that's okay. We'll get over it. And then, then somewhere down the road, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, maybe some kids come in. Maybe there's some other stresses, some other strains, and that tension starts to come back. Now, they're they're not letting go of each other. They're still connected, but now their connection is through their tension instead of through their surrender. But they're both believing, well, hey, God still has us here. He still called me to be her husband. He still called me to be his wife, so I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. But this tension, it kind of comes and it goes. And sometimes the pull is on Andrew's end of, hey, you got to do a little more what I want. And sometimes it's on Ashley's end of, you've got to do a little more what I want. And sometimes there is a closeness and it lessens, but then life comes and it gets tense again. 
And then maybe we, we come to a, a service like this morning or we attend a Wednesday night group or we read a marriage book and we start to come to this idea of, no, 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 God has called us together. He's called us to be united. He's called us to drop the rope, to submit to one another in marriage. And, and they both individually think, that's a great idea. My spouse should do that. Right? And so, so then in, instead of this picture, we kind of get a little more here and, and Andrew's sitting here and he's like, Ashley, drop the rope. And Ashley's sitting here and she's saying, no, Andrew, you drop the rope. And they're both kind of in this, this just standoff of, hey, as soon as you do it, we'll have the marriage God wants us to have. And this is where some of us find ourselves this morning. And there's a lot of tension and you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, hey, if you'll just drop it. Right? As a wife, you hear the Spirit saying, if you will just, just submit and respect. As a husband, you hear the Spirit saying, hey, if, if you will just love and sacrifice. It, but we're so worried about, hey, if I give it up before she does, do I become the henpecked husband? If I give it up before he does, do I become the doormat wife? And we're so afraid of letting go that we don't actually experience what God has planned for us. And some of us, we've lived with this tension for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years in marriage. And at this point, you're like, look, this rope has grown into my hands. I can't let it go anymore. And yet what the Spirit is saying to you today is it is never too late to have the marriage God created you for. All it takes is an act of surrender. What you find is you, as you drop that rope, God then unites you together. Now, there's still going to be some tension in marriage at times, right? But the difference is now the tension is being experienced as one, right? So instead of them pulling apart, it's just tension they're experiencing together, and they're going to navigate that, and they're going to walk through it because God takes two people and makes them one flesh, but only through our surrender to him. So wherever you are as a husband or a wife this morning, my prayer for you is that you just drop the rope. Make that commitment over the next, let's say, two months from now to Easter to outserve your spouse. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Ashley. Right, just, just start to pray those prayers of God. If this is what you've called me to do, show me how to do it. Enable me to lay down my rights, to lay down my priorities, to lay down my privileges, to lay down the things I, my fears of what it might be, and just trust that your plan is best. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us, and the band's going to lead us in one final song this morning. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord, I believe today you have a plan to unite every husband and every wife together. And yet we are also aware, Lord, that there are challenges, there are hurts, there are heartaches that are causing tension and division between husbands and wives this morning. So Holy Spirit, we ask in these coming moments that you would come and enable us to see past our current issues Enable us to see past our current hurts. Enable us to see past all of the ways we've tried to fix it before. And this morning, just to surrender to you and say, God, I'm going I'm to drop the rope. I'm going to surrender to your power. I'm going to surrender to your presence. I'm going to trust that as I make a decision, 
to live with an attitude of worship towards you and submission towards my spouse, that, Lord, as I make a commitment to serve them, to love them, regardless of their response, that you are gonna bind our hearts together in a way that is completely supernatural and completely unbreakable. So, Lord, I pray that you would come today. Holy Spirit, give us strength, give us courage, give us the ability to take the steps of faith you're calling us to. For some of us, Lord, our marriages will never be right until we are right with you. So help us to ask you to forgive our sins and begin that relationship with you today. Lord, I pray for those who come and their marriages are just in dark or dry, dusty places. That you come and speak words of life and hope to them this morning. That you are the God who binds hearts together in a way that they cannot be broken apart. So we're asking you to do that once again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The band's gonna lead us in a final song. As they do, if you would like someone to pray with you, maybe about uh, beginning your relationship with Jesus, if you've never done that, that's the most important decision you'll make. You can head out the back doors and to your left, we have a team of pastors and, and prayer team members who'll be waiting to meet with you. Maybe you need prayer for other areas in your life. We'd love to join you in those prayers as well. But as we sing, if you'll head out the back doors and to your left, the rest of us, we're going to sing this song just as a statement of faith and belief that God's promises will be our experience.
Regardless of the, the status of your, your relationship, my hope is that song is the anthem that plays in your heart. That if you're in a great place, God's going to continue to bring victory, continue to bring connection with your spouse. If you're in a, a dark place, a tough place, he's going to take this season that the enemy is intending to destroy you and separate you and use it to strengthen your bond and your connection at a level and a depth that you've never known before. That the years to come can be better and greater than the years that have already been. That your marriage does not have to be one where you long for the good old days or the way it was once upon a time, but your current experience with your spouse can be one of God's fullness, one of his joy, one of a supernatural connection that he creates for you. So as you go this morning, do not listen to the lies of the enemy that your relationship is hopeless or beyond repair, but hear the declaration of God. Your marriage is a good thing because it is a God thing. And he is able to work in all circumstances through all people to accomplish his purposes and his plan. So as you go today, may you go full of faith, full of hope, full of trust, full of willingness to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to be the husband, to be the wife that he's called you and enables you to be. 
Thank you for worshiping him with us today. May you go in God's grace and his peace. We hope to see you in one of our home groups this evening. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.